You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. The scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came down to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So, that, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down and to look in this and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she saw, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and saw him. In Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Why are you here? What are you looking for? That's what the man she took for the gardener asked her. She'd gone to the tomb to care for Jesus' body, but it wasn't there. Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala, the town with a reputation as wicked city, she had some issues. She was an outcast. She was hurting. 
In the Gospel of Luke, it says that Jesus cast out seven demons from her. Some say one of those was prostitution, although whenever a woman in the Bible has a demon, it's prostitution. Some say she was the sinful woman at Simon the Pharisee's house who washed Jesus' feet with her hair. Remember, they said, if you're really a prophet, you wouldn't allow that kind of woman to touch your feet. But Jesus didn't care about all that stuff. He forgave her. He welcomed her, and now he was gone. So she came to care for his body. One pastor wrote, I believe that for Mary, losing Jesus was more than just losing the great teacher because he was perhaps the first person who had ever understood her jaded journey and had accepted her as she was. Mary had learned firsthand that she would never again encounter a friend like the lowly Jesus. He had healed her of her issues and had accepted her as a friend. He had validated her existence, and now he was gone. She knew he was gone, yet she still came. Out of love, the love he'd offered, the love she received, the love she wanted to get back. She was there on Friday. She saw the cross, the nails, the blood. She saw the agony on his face, the moment that he took his last breath. Jesus was gone. He was dead. It was finished. And Mary was left with a new reality to accept. Through the pain and the grief and the tears, she walked to the tomb. On Sunday morning, she walked there. The sky was still dark, and she knew what she was looking for, Jesus' lifeless body. Safe behind the stone, At least that's what she thought she'd find. Instead, the tomb was empty. The body was missing. Even in death, Jesus couldn't be left in peace. Someone had taken the body. And so she goes and she gets Peter and John because she knows that they'll comfort her and they'll confirm what she has found. But they see the linen wrappings and they, that how they're left in a pile and they run away. And Mary's left crying, hopeless, afraid, maybe angry, certainly defeated. She was stuck on Good Friday. So stuck that she couldn't see the angels. She simply focused on finding the body. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And there Jesus stands, but she can't recognize him. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Her response is a demand to see the body. She was there to mourn, to grieve. And when she saw the, open, or the empty tomb, she could only see loss. Her mind was made up. Jesus was dead, and this was simply not the time and place for miracles. And so she demands to see the body. And the gardener says, Mary. And she knows it's her Lord. He's risen, he is alive, and in that instant she is no longer stuck. She has hope again and she's not alone. No longer is she stuck on Good Friday. 
I love the tradition of the Easter cross that we have here with the flowers. Um, I, I know Be- Becky and Ken Ermer brought it here when they first came to the church, and Becky's covenant group uh, was part of getting it started. It's a wonderful tradition. I love all the pictures of the families in front of it, and, and um, I love looking back on my kids, little kids, in front of the cross. It's a special tradition. I love the symbolism. The cross, the instrument of death covered with flowers, the sign of new life, the triumph of life over death. Sarah Bessie in her book, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, writes about a flower cross. See, she and her kids were on the way to church on Easter Sunday and they stopped by a roadside stand to pick out flowers. They took time picking out beautiful spring flowers, a whole bunch of yellow flowers. At her church, the tradition was for the flowers to be placed on the cross at the end of the worship service. There was sort of a dance party that came and everyone would stand and walk forward the flowers and it was a very special time. Well, they got to worship and Sarah tucked the flowers under their seats until the end of worship and about halfway through the service, her daughter said, Mom, you're standing on the flowers. At some point, moving her purse, uh, the flowers were jostled and they had landed at her feet and so they were kind of ground into the floor as she swayed to the music and held her, her daughter and... They were destroyed. Her daughter's eyes filled with tears. Fortunately, the woman sitting behind them had extra flowers, and she gave them to the family. The end of the service came, and it was time to bring the flowers forward, and the room burst into celebration. There were balloons set off, and people danced as they brought forward the flowers. The kids were dancing on the sides of the room, and there was tremendous joy, a wonderful celebration of the resurrection. Sarah and her family brought forward the new flowers they had. The cross was covered with beautiful, perfect, bright flowers, purples and yellows and pinks and oranges. And when Sarah returned to her seat, she looked down at the damaged flowers and remembered Isaiah's words. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And she began to walk back to the cross, hands full of broken and bruised flowers. She wrote, when we have suffered, when we have been bruised and scarred, when our light has been blown out and we are ground beneath someone else's heel, I hope to remember that we belong to a God who is faithful to restore us. We aren't invisible to Jesus or embarrassing to Jesus, nor are we unwelcome. It would be very easy for us to be like Mary, to decide what God will do, 
to miss God in front of us because the world that we live in is a Good Friday world and we have been bruised and scarred. We have been overcome by loss and fear and illness. We live in a Good Friday world where schools are on lockdown and war is raging and cancer is persisting and poverty is prevalent and bullies are winning and we are afraid to know our neighbors. If you look around, you'll see Good Friday everywhere. But that's not where the story ends. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. We belong to a God who is faithful to restore us. God can bring resurrection out of our bruised and battered selves, making us into a new creation of beauty and hope. Mary's eyes are opened when Jesus says her name and she knows Jesus is alive. He has risen from the dead. And in that instant, she is resurrected too. The bruises are healed in the hope of the risen Lord. There was a pastor who was visiting a nursing home. She went weekly to give communion to the residents, and many of the residents were in various stages of dementia. One night she arrived, and several of them were experiencing sundowners, and it was quite a sight. Now, some were sleeping through the service as usual, but many were on the wild side that night. They were bouncing up and down, and one was singing, row, row, row your boat. There were many different conversations that were going on. When the pastor clapped her hands and said, What shall I read from the Bible today? What part do you want to hear? And one voice said, Tell us a resurrection story. And the room changed. And everyone got still. And the sleeping opened their eyes. Yes, said one. And then another. Yes, tell us a resurrection story. That's why we're here today. That's what we're looking for. We all need a resurrection story, a story of hope and triumph, the story of true love in action that reminds us that we might live in a Good Friday world, but we have an Easter Sunday God. On this day of resurrection, this day when Jesus rose from the dead, we remember that God brings life out of death, triumph over suffering, a promise that death will never win, for we have been given the ultimate gift of love that shows us that with Christ, love always wins. It doesn't mean there won't be suffering. It doesn't mean there won't be hardship or pain or rejection. It means that none of these things are God's will. None of these things have the last word, love does. God's love will be with us and give us strength and hope and bring us to triumph, health, and wholeness because that's God's love for us in action. We may live in a Good Friday world, But we have an Easter Sunday God who makes a way out of no way, who works miracles and makes our bruises beautiful, who calls us by name, who never gives up, even when we have, who loves us so much that he chose to suffer and and die on a cross, but not have that be the last word. 
An Easter Sunday God who tells us that there is nothing, not death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, friends, but I have been desperate for resurrection. And today I feel it. Look around you. Can you feel it? Our story of new life, of Easter Sunday, of resurrection promise, our story of joy in the morning. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.